Dusky goes through it again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an amazing goal. I think he's scored a goal every time he's had a shot. Hello, guys. What's going on? Welcome back to the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. I'm Billy, and with me, as always, is the VAR controversy to my Premier League, Lewis. Just a tad bit of uh, foreshadowing there of this week's topics. Of course, we've got the latest action from the Bundesliga and the Premier League, and we will start with Villa having some fun at the Emirates. United coming back and turning around a match at Goodison Park. And then what was supposed to be the top match of this weekend. Manchester City versus Liverpool, definitely disappointing. Then we'll move over to Germany and the Bundesliga, where we have, of course, Der Klassiker, Bayern v Dortmund. And all the glory that goes with it, the bragging rights, as well as top of the league. Then we move to the bottom of the Bundesliga table where Mainz played Schalke, the 17th versus the 18th place in a battle of the relegation spots already this early in the season. And then we have two teams who really would like to get into the Champions League spots every season, but are always on the cusp. Bayer Leverkusen versus Mönchengladbach and a whole load of goals there. But we're going to start right off with Aston Villa versus Arsenal. I said to you before, I'm so happy. <laughs> I, I remember you saying as well, as like, yeah, okay, we're only going to talk about two matches in this episode. And it's going to be United uh, versus Everton and then a little bit on City versus Liverpool. Unless uh, something crazy happens at the Emirates. And then what happens? You send me a freaking picture of the scoreline in the 90th minute. And it's like, well, looks like we got six matches to talk about. And do you know what? The worst thing about that is as well, it was pay-per-view. And it's probably the only pay-per-view game so far that's been worth watching. Oh, Yeah, but they, but, but, and there's a big but, because pay-per-view is now going to be uh, discontinued for the Premier League, at least until the 2021 season. I mean, sorry, the 21-22. I'm a little bit confused on the date. Yeah, I sent you the, I sent you the score, and I mean, I couldn't believe it because we'll talk about the goal that was ruled out anyway. I, I saw Villa had gone one 0 up really early on. I was like, okay, it's just a formality. Arsenal are going to come back like a Bamiyang or something. It's going to score like three times. And Arsenal don't have a bad team. That's the thing. I see. Like, I'd argue they do. Okay. Which, which made losing to them last week that little bit more hurtful. Yeah, okay, but come on. I know they're not, you know, what they were or the, the team they were when, you know, Thierry Henry was playing there and, you know, the basically the elite Arsenal of the early 2000s. But they're not, you know, a team where you're saying uh, it's like Brighton, they should be, uh, Aston Villa could actually do a number on them. Like, I'm not going to lie. No one was going to favorite Aston Villa, you know. Oh, no, but I, you take a Bamiyang away from Arsenal, and I quite comfortably say they've got a mid-table side at best. And a Bamiyang didn't turn up today. Even with Thomas Partey? Yeah. Like, that, that team doesn't... There's no one in that team I'd have 
And that's a bold shout because I wouldn't have a Bamiyang either. I was about, I was also going to argue, you know, Bent Lino is not, you know, that crap of a keeper. You know, he's obviously, you know, bound to make a mistake or two every season, but you know, he's not all bad. No, but he doesn't he's get helped out. Keeper. He doesn't get helped out by having Rob Holding in a back three in front of him. That also includes Kieran Tierney, who isn't a centre back. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, I, I think that's the main argument that's made is that, you know, Bandolino is an underrated keeper just because, you know, he's got clowns in front of him who don't help him and then, you know, lead to him looking bad because he just gets one goal smashed past him after the other, which is apparent by today's score. I, I mean, as bad as Arsenal were, I think you've really got to hand it to Villa, especially Jack Grealish, completely and utterly ran that game. Yeah, I th- uh, Ian Dark as well said it uh, in the commentaries. Like this is this wasn't like the scoreline doesn't flatter Aston Villa. They fully deserve to win that three 0 and I'm in complete agreement with you. Like people were like, oh, is he good enough? Is he really good enough? Is he worth the eighty million they want for him? And based on that, yeah, eighty is a bit <laughs> much, but I definitely over fifty. It's a bit like it's the homegrown tax. You got you got to add-on, but that performance was outstanding. And you can see why he's been nominated for Player of the Month. Player of the Month? They for October. Been, he, he finds spaces that I didn't... Or I think if you didn't watch Jack Grealish week in, week out, you wouldn't have thought he could do. And then all of a sudden, you know, you watch this match from him. And you're suddenly thinking, you know, he's not just a, he's not just your classic box to box midfielder. He's got so much attacking prowess and, you know, it's technical ability. And this also leads me to the, to the, my point that Villa deserved the three, no, because there were times where, you know, they were doing back heel flicks and combining through Arsenal's defense, you know, like a hot knife through butter. And it looked like a team that should be playing champions league versus Arsenal, not Aston Villa versus Arsenal. I know, but from if you had never watched football before and someone went, oh, I'm watching Arsenal-Aston Villa. Do you want to like, do you want to watch it with me? They'd be like, oh, was it Arsenal that nearly got relegated last season? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's a cra- it's just crazy to think Villa almost got relegated and now, you know, they're sixth in the league, 15 points. Fully deserved. I think deserved. they fin- they finally found a striker though, because let yeah. let's be honest, Wesley and oh, what's the other one called? You'll probably know more than me. <laughs> exactly, the fact I can't remember his name speaks volumes about. I was about to say this is that that already point made. But Go Ollie on. Ollie Watkins, he came from Brentford, and people there's always that question mark of a player coming from a Championship club. But he was outstanding in the championship last season and he's scoring goals for fun in the Premier League. And they, yeah, they're good I, goals that he scores as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the way he he really tanks himself through that Arsenal defence. I mean, there were three guys around him for, for his first goal. And just to just to throw your body in there, just, you know, like body on the line, doing everything you can to score. That just that speaks volumes in and of itself. It's, it's crazy. And I think that's partly to do with coming from the championship. You don't 
you know, the, the championships are really difficult league to get out of and to do well in. So having that experience of being that good in the championship. And there's not really that much pressure on him at Villa. Had he gone no to somewhere like Chelsea or Arsenal, he's, he's an Arsenal fan. Oh, that's always nice to score score two goals against a team you've supported your whole life. But yeah, I think it's, um, I'd also think it's the, the championship that helped him in that instance for his first goal is because the championship is also so much more physical. And, you know, he just kind of used that physicality almost to, to get there. Yeah, definitely. But I think Arsenal, so Arsenal, they signed Thomas Partey and all their fans, are, oh, okay, we've got this, midfield artist that's going to solve all our problems. But you can't play a player like Thomas Partey alongside a player like Mohamed Elneny. No. Who I'm... is dire. Yeah, it was, it was the, sorry, the, the main instance of where I think illustrates a point beautifully is when Elneny tries to pass it to Partey at the edge of the box. And gives him such a wayward pass that, you know, it's played in the back of uh, Partey and he's got a man coming on to him and, you know, he just hoofs this shot and the shot ends up going, you know, miles over the bar. And then, you know, Partey's just looking at Elneny and saying, you know, what kind of a pass is that? You're trying to tee me up to, to pass it backwards? What the hell is that? And you think about the quality of midfielder that they had or that he had alongside him at Atletico. Oh, but I think... I think the biggest problem for Arsenal, especially not necessarily in general, but in this game against Villa, was the formation played. Because you think having to go through a compact Arsenal midfield, yeah, okay, United struggled with it last week. But Aston Villa exploited the width because Hector Bellerin, again, it just sounds like I'm hating on Arsenal, and I kind of am, but Hector Bellerin is nothing special. And Bukayo Saka, in my opinion, should be playing where William's playing. William? William. You know, he's not a defensive-minded player. He's a forward. Yeah. And having to track back, you lose something from his game. I mean, yeah, he was unlucky to score the own goal, but what, are you not, are you not going to dive in and try and stop it? So yeah. we can't fault him for that. But I think you take William off and you put someone... Well, play, play Ainsley Maitland-Niles there, who was so good there last season. And you put Saka in the front three. Get, get rid of William because he's not very good. There's a reason Chelsea didn't want him anymore. And I mean, I'm, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to hate because, you know, full credit to Aston Villa. It's a, it's a hard one. I think... Um... If you just take, I agree with you. And also, you know, it's the changes you're also stating is definitely putting youth on the pitch rather than experience. And you've re- definitely said, you know, William, there was a reason Chelsea didn't want him anymore. And I think that main reason was one, he's 32 or 33. And two, he's just not got the same amount of flair and, you know, speed and effectiveness that he used to when, you know, when he first got to Chelsea, which is obvious, you know, that's to be expected that at some point, you know, a player with that, of that age is going to slowly taper off. 
but it's the fact that you know Arsenal made this big do of you know signing William and offering him 135 grand a week. It's a question of where the priorities lie in that point, and you know maybe that might be a slap upside the head for Arsenal to you know take a look at their squad and maybe try something like Chelsea are doing is go for more youth. There's only so many players you can stick on massive wages, but also at the same time let a lot of staff go because oh we can't afford to pay you, but we can afford to pay William one hundred and thirty odd thousand pounds a week. When Abamyang yeah. still hasn't turned up since he signed his new contract. Yeah, he scored against United, but let's be honest, Paul Pogba gifted him that penalty. So let's not you know, big up Aubameyang for scoring a penalty that any normal sane player doesn't give away. Well, you say that it's that easy to make a penalty. Kevin De Bruyne showed us otherwise today. Seamless segue. I love that. I wasn't even planning on making this a segue, but, you know, we'll roll with it. It was supposed to be, as I said, the top match of the weekend, the big draw you know the the two teams that last season or the end of the season before that actually for the last three seasons more uh, more or less have been the two powerhouses of english football and rightly so because they've they're the ones who have won the premier league um and liverpool also winning the champions league but this season they're kind of behind their ex you know behind expectations because I mean, for one thing, the table says it. Manchester City now are at 10th place with 12 points out of seven matches. And, you know, Liverpool, okay, yeah, they're third. But still, they're conceding 16 goals in eight matches. That's an average of two goals a match. I think they conceded 16 goals in the whole campaign last year. That's the thing. They're not at the races this year big part of that is definitely Virgil van Dijk missing. You're going to miss a player like van Dijk, and it sounds so obvious to say it, because we know how good he is. But even before that, they'd conceded seven to Aston Villa with van Dijk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think... Also shows that Aston Villa are definitely... They're to be reckoned with. They've now beat two of the top six teams quite comfortably that's what i mean it's like oh hang on what's going on <laughs> i'm not used to this this is like if schalke suddenly started beating bayern munich 7-2 and putting three past rb leipzig it's like no like, <laughs> but then again you can't fault them for playing that way no you and can't because it is effective forward thinking football and Going back to City and Liverpool, I've seen a lot of people criticise Roy Keane for what he said about Carl Walker. And I don't, have you seen this? I don't know if you've seen yeah, this. Yeah, I saw the comments. <laughs> yeah, so what, you know, why, why did Mane get a penalty? Oh, because he's going up against an idiot. People tell me he's been playing well, but I don't see it. He's a car crash. And I completely agree with him. I hate Carl Walker. Okay, but, I think it's a... I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to re, rebuff you here because I think it's a bit harsh. Yes, he definitely goes in like an idiot, but I wouldn't say Kyle Walker was, you know, is a complete car crash because I'd say his form up until this match was slowly on the rise again. You know, given, yeah, he had that stupid yellow-red with uh, with England and there was talk of him 
you know, possibly, you know, not playing for England again. And then, you know, Southgate very quickly said, you know, you know what, everyone makes mistakes. It's all good. And ever since then, ever since then, I would have thought, or my opinion is that his form was slowly improving. Today, he again showed, you know, the, I'd say the gaps in, in his, uh, in his skill. Well, it's both that against and on the ball. Well, it's that it's that thing. It's one step forward. You know, he had a, he had a couple of good games, and that's two steps back. Yeah. And I'll I'll go back to the text commentary from Sky Sports on the app. So, penalty to Liverpool, stunning play from Liverpool, and Walker, in typical rash fashion, gets the wrong side of Mane, clear penalty. So people know he's bad. He died. You know, there's. I say it to you about Eric Bailly, how it makes me nervous to watch him play. <laughs> if I were a City fan, it would make me nervous to watch Carl Walker defend, which is mad because he's a defender. And I don't want him anywhere near the England team. Well, that's a big shout. But yeah, I can see where you're coming from because there's no doubt about it. It is a clear penalty. And, the only bit know... of quality in that game came from Gabriel Jesus for the equaliser. Oh, it was definitely a snooze fest to watch. It, it just wasn't fun. I was I was flicking between that match and um, Leverkusen Gladbach, and because they were kind of you know playing time wise a little bit staggered, but it was just so much more fun to watch by Leverkusen v Gladbach than to watch that because that was just you know both Liverpool's attack did not it just didn't function in the second half. Liverpool was there, you know, attacking-wise, creating chances the first half. And then the second half, they just didn't turn up. Like, and they, they still had Salah, Mane, Firmino, Jota, all of them. They were on the pitch, and they just didn't produce anything meaningful. It was so atypical of what, you know, we know that Liverpool can play. And City, they definitely were the team that were trying to score and they were trying to get the three points more and also because they need it more. But they didn't really produce anything too all too meaningful if you just if you discount Gabriel Jesus scoring the equalizer, as you said. I think the game as a whole, it was a victim of the reputation. Of both teams and managers, yeah. So it's built, it's the same as couple years ago there was this whole thing United played Liverpool Anfield on a Monday night all throughout the week and all throughout the weekend Red Monday Red Monday it's coming Monday night be there watch it and uh, it was the most boring dull nil-nil game (laughs) and it's the same thing like you watch any game on Sky this weekend I watched the Southampton Newcastle game on Friday night every opportunity they got it's Man City against Liverpool Sunday night watch it or don't bother coming into work and talking about it the next day. Yeah, I think I don't, I will not bother going into work and talking about it the next day because it was such a crap game to watch. <laughs> I, yeah, I, both teams look a little bit off it this season. But then again, this is a really weird season. Uh, you're not wrong. You're Actually, Ma- not wrong. Man City are 10th and it's like, Scored nine or scored 10 goals and conceded nine. That's just, that's ridiculous. And I mean, Liverpool, they've conceded 16. They've only scored 18. This is so atypical for them. And I mean, Firmino, I'm, I'm going to have to get stats up here because it just, 
it gets worse and worse every time. Oh, are you, really about to, are you about to jump on my uh, Firmino hate train? Roberto Firmino failed to produce a shot on target for the fourth Premier League game this season and failed to create a chance for the third match this season. It's the second time he's produced zero of both in the same game. He brings nothing to that team. He's there because they need 11 players. Jota's definitely outperforming him. That's what I mean. He start Jota and play some... That front three, it's the same as when Uniteds are all fit and firing. You think they could play anywhere across that front three. So can that Liverpool team, if you put Jota in instead of Firmino. And I mean, they did play a little bit differently today because it was a... It was on paper, it was supposed to be a 4-2-3-1. But then in reality, it was more 4-4-2 or a 4-4-1-1 with Salah being the striker and... Firmino, you know, sort of the the hanging center attacking slash center center attacking midfielder slash center forward, and defensively, then it was a four four two. And also, the big problem that you know the German commentators on Sky Sports said was that Jota had to be moved to the middle to Firmino's position, and Firmino had to be taken off, and then they put Shakiri on the right because Jota has just not got the capabilities to track back, which in a 4-4-2, a right midfielder has to do. He has to support the right wing back. And, um, or the right fullback, sorry. And, you know, Jota just wasn't, or doesn't defend. He just doesn't track back. And that was one of the main problems. But I think, like you said, you know, start Jota and go back to the 4-3-3 and start Jota alongside Mane and Salah. I, I, it's just something I think could work. And the last thing to take away from that City-Liverpool game is the injury to Alexander-Arnold. So it, I think, yeah. it looked like he, that calf muscle went nah. when, <laughs> when he was chasing back Raheem Sterling. I think that is just a clear sign of, or that's just a, that's just a consequence that at some point had to happen when you have a schedule that is this tightly packed. I mean, the fact that it took this long already is... Uh, is amazing but you know at some point you're going to have some injuries uh, and they're usually going to be muscular where players bodies are just going to cut out it's mad but it's the only way that this season could go ahead I in an ideal world you just cut the internationals because no one really cares about the nations league you really would, wouldn't you? I think the, the main reason the internationals are still going in the sense uh, in that sense is just due to sponsors at the end of the day. Because sponsors, def, the, you know, the national teams also have an obligation to their sponsors and, and the UEFA Nations League. So I think it's, it's more talk of money. Because, I mean, there have already been talks like Vera Brim are not letting any of their players go on international duty. Because they're saying, you know, we need you guys fit. You guys are staying here. And you guys are having a couple of days off, and then you guys are going to come back into training. And Bayern Munich were definitely also looking at the options of, or the legal options of keeping all their players, because I mean, Bayern Munich are always sending at least five to six players to the national to the German national team alone. And I'd say the whole starting eleven of Bayern go to national teams. Yeah, it's what I, I almost respect that, not letting players go. Right. Because at the, end, at the end of the day, if one of your players, I don't know who an international player for Werder Bremen would be, but let's say their star player goes on international duty and ruptures his ACL. They're going to be fuming. Well, that's Werder Bremen screwed for the season. 
Uh, there was a there was definitely t- uh, a while back when Robin was you know Bayern's star winger, and he got injured on international duty with uh, with the Dutch uh, national team. Bayern were furious with the Dutch national team, furious, and as you said, rightfully so. But moving on to the last match in the Premier League that we're going to talk about today, the other team from Manchester, Manchester United, were in dire need of some points. And going up against Everton, they may have uh, had a little bit of drop in form, but they're still a team that won the first four matches of the season and are definitely looking to be at the races in comparison to other teams. See, I was watching this, and up until that point, United had been, it was a similar thing against Istanbul, Bashakshah here. It was pressure. It was almost like camping on their goal. And it's, uh, okay. Jordan Pickford plays a long ball. It comes off Victor Lindelof, falls to Bernard. A quick shuffle out of his feet, and he fires it into the bottom left. So, uh, okay. Through the legs of uh, Wan-Bissaka, it has to be said. Yeah, so Wan-Bissaka tries to block it, and it just goes through his legs. It's like, okay, here we go here again. Here we go again. <laughs> but, and literally, it was five minutes later. And I, I don't know, Everton just looked off it. And you can't blame that on not having Richarlison because Richarlison would not be defending that or defending any of the, of the goals. And yeah, he only joined in January of last year, but he's, Bruno Fernandes is consistently our best player. What was it before the match? 33 goal contributions in 34 matches for United or 32 matches for United, something stupid like that. Something ridiculous like that. And it was just like the first goal, the header, he had so much space. Alan just dropped off. Uh, Keane and Holgate didn't move in the box. And he just that trademark thing for Fernandez. He timed his run and it was just effortless. One single movement. Didn't have to halt. He didn't have to wait. Ran onto it and headed it. Brilliant top corner. And even the second one. I mean, Rashford touches that. It's in. But he didn't. And it went in off the post. But he had so much room and so much time and space. No one went to close him down. Yeah, those centre-backs didn't really have a freaking clue as to how to defend a man who's just completely free in the middle of their own box. Well, Yerry uh, Mina had been playing at centre-back. And Mason Holgate, at the time, he was fit for like four days or something and went straight back in that Everton defence. And what does that say about Ancelotti's view of Yerry Mina? Oof. It's like, well, clearly you're not a good enough defender, so I'm going to put a guy who's got four days fitness in him. That's harsh. That is really harsh. And it wasn't like Everton didn't create because Calvert-Lewin was still really lively. Luca Dean put in a few really good crosses. But I said it to you, and I really didn't expect to say this this season at all. Harry Maguire was unreal. I think the term yeah, I used to you was prime Maldini. <laughs> I, I I was shocked when I got that text because I was I was thinking I right, here here comes another round of complaints about how Harry Maguire is the biggest donkey in the group of center backs the Premier League has to offer. But no, it was praise 
like I had never heard before. Well, that's the thing, like all the players that on here I've routinely taken a dig at but unreal like Luke Shaw up until we went off injured which is really typical of Luke Shaw and I really hope it's not a serious injury but he was ridiculous it was like watching the Luke Shaw we thought we were getting all those years ago before his leg break in 2014 Harry Maguire got to everything Victor Lindelof did his job as well Wambasaka he's got telescopic legs and yeah. to cap it all off Cavani scored so happy days but you know Fernandez could have easily taken that shot on and gone for his hat trick but it's like that's the mentality I think United have missed so all in all we have to say when United you know do actually play to their full potential they're quite a good side Oh, God, yeah. And people were slagging off the lineup, going, oh, why is he playing McTominay and Fred in that holding midfield pivot? Why is Donny van der Beek on the bench? I was like, yeah, okay, I'd like to see more of Donny van der Beek. And he could possibly have played where Juan Mata played in that game. But McTominay and Fred, it works. It was that And that's thing. also something that I didn't think I was going to hear this season. Well, that's the thing. It works. There's a partnership there. Fred... He tracks back, but he doesn't do the, you know, the, the wall, the rock. McTominay is that holding midfielder. Fred is more of a box-to-box. Yeah. And I'm going to say something. Well, okay, I'll say that in a sec, but I saw something on Twitter from uh, Ollie Holt, the chief sports writer for the Telegraph, literally about 20 minutes ago. And it was a simple, if Arteta was Solskjaer, the Wolves would be at that man's door right now for losing 3-0 to Aston Villa. Uh, yeah, definitely. So, and people can't tell me that Ollie isn't tactically sound. Because some, yeah, sometimes he doesn't get it right, but sometimes that's the player's fault. But he's beaten Pep, beaten Frank Lampard, who I don't think is a good manager anyway. Thomas Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel. Julian Nagelsmann. Carlo yeah. Ancelotti as well. And there's clearly something there. But like I said, sometimes, you know, if the players don't play, there's only so much a manager can do during a match. Definitely, definitely. And whether you agree with me on this or not, because you've had James Rodriguez in your team. Mm -hmm. Now things aren't aren't going all Everton's way. He's going to become childish, brattish, moan, complain, not pull his weight. He's going to start being taken off earlier and earlier. Hard to argue with that assessment. He was taken off after what? An hour? Tops. Against us? And yeah, it's all right when things are going your way. And it's all right saying, oh, I need to be where people love me and where people want me. Oh, sorry, to be fair, he lasted 80 minutes against us. But they keep losing. If they this dip in form continues, I can easily see him being left out completely. Yeah. I guess only time will tell. But seeing as you just did mention James Rodriguez and his stint at Germany, why don't we move over to the Bundesliga and I'll let you have a pick of which match we talk about first here. Because we do have three great great matches. That's very generous. I want to start with a game that includes, I'm going to call it the Puskas Award winner for this season. 
Oh, and it definitely, I, I was hoping you'd say that. Yeah, as much as, you know, Leverkusen did at some point have the handle on Gladbach, that goal from Lazaro, wow. I mean, it is not just reminiscent, but it is better almost than Olivier Giroud's scorpion against, what was it? Crystal Palace. That's the one. And Mkhitaryan. Against and Sunderland. Europa- oh, it was Sunderland. I thought it was yeah, Europa. Yeah, it was in the Premier League. Oh, okay. I'd say it's that much, It's even better than those two. I know that's a bold shout, but it was a pretty a unreal scorpion kick. I can't argue with it. It's a shame it came in the 90th, or it was basically the last kick of the game. But oh, yeah, it's, it's a shame his team lost 4-3 instead of 4-2. But... I honest to God, I'd be buzzing with that anyway. <laughs> I know your teammates might be like, oh yeah, but come on, mate, we've lost. But it's like, yeah, but did you see what I just did? <laughs> <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be on the walls. I'd be, they'd have to like put me in a separate room because I guarantee that Glavax side are going to be so crestfallen. Even, also- Laz- sorry, even Lazaro, he's going to be really like, how do I react to this? Because that is probably the best goal yeah. he'll ever score in his career. He's like, oh, okay, well, we've lost that. And, uh... Well, I can tell you how he reacted because after the match, after the final whistle was blown, he was smashing his hands into the pitch and he was fuming. Which is, I guess, a good show of mentality from him. I was going to say, that's the, right men- that's the right response you want to losing 4-3. Yeah. And then obviously it gives us a straight into, you know, the way this match went. Gladbach at the beginning, and even in the first, I'd say the first half, they had a better handle on the match than, than Leverkusen did, even though it, it was 2-2 at the halftime, at halftime. Because Leverkusen came back to equalize, and, you know, it was another round of VAR, which obviously slowed everything down, but... It was a it was a solid performance from, from Gladbach, save for the one mistake that Jan Zoma made coming out for Lucas Alario's second goal, where he either you stay on the line in that situation or you come out and then you actually get the ball. But you know, he came out, missed the ball, missed the cross, and Alario just uh, Alario had to head it in. Also on a side note, Alario's goal into the top corner. Jesus. He's really coming into some rich form, and it's like, okay, we've now got an international break. It's like, oh, if I was a Leverkusen fan, I'd be sat there like, oh, come on. Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, just, yeah. it just puts the handbrake on that ridiculous run that he's on at the moment. He set a club record, six goals in seven matches. No other, no Leverkusen player in the club's history has scored that many goals in that many matches. Ridiculous. And it, I... I think it's a similar situation to Villa. Obviously, Leverkusen are Had considerably higher, higher up in the higher up in the table, but they found. I said it a couple of weeks ago. They found that striker. Well, you say they're higher up in the table. Well, they're only higher than Villa by two places. If you if you compare the two tables at the minute, but okay, yeah, I mean historically higher they, in the table. I'll, 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 I'll relativize the statement. They want. They have higher title aspirations and placement aspirations than Aston Villa do. Yeah. 
But I, I mean, through this, Leverkusen, sorry, let me finish in a second. Leverkusen through this are now level on points with Dortmund and they're fourth in the table. And I think they fully deserve to be there. Yeah. I, the only thing I was going to say is that, you know, Gladbach started the game arguably better and they went ahead. Not just once. Well, exactly. Like, you're thinking, okay, this is just going to be a back and forth, back and forth. And then for some reason, second half, it just sort of, Leverkusen, it's almost like Leverkusen woke up. It took them or a long time just didn't to get turn going. Up. Yeah. And then Leon Bailey strikes. I love Leon Bailey. And it was exactly at the other half, or on the other side, where Radetzky makes an unreal save, you know, tracking back on Lashtende. Then Benzevaini nails it against the crossbar, I believe. And then it was a counterattack, which ended up with Leon Bailey putting it through Yen Zaman's legs. And it's just, you know, the form of the keepers on the day was very apparent in that sequence of the match. Because one goalkeeper makes an unreal save at the other at the one end, and the other goalkeeper, you know, the angle that Leon Bailey has is not favorable. And he still manages to get the ball into the net somehow. Yeah, I think Lukas Sadetsky made up for that penalty. It wasn't great, was it? When he fouled ah. Breland Bono. <laughs> but he more it really than wasn't for that save. And it was a, a switch went. And Leverkusen just powered through. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's also, it's such a stark contrast to where Gladbach were just a few days ago when they nailed Donetsk to the wall. And I mean, they played, they outplayed them in every sense. And it's just such a stark contrast. And it's one of the problems that I think many Bundesliga teams are going to have now who, you know, are in that position for the first time that they have that many matches, that concentration of matches, is that, you know, it's a lot of uh, dips in form. I mean, added to the fact that, you know, Gladbach did not start Plea, who was, you know, one of the biggest reasons for winning the Champions League draw. Yeah, I couldn't understand that. And by the time they brought him on, with 15 minutes to go, it was too late. It really was. Oh, well. Braden Bono's good and everything, but he's not. He's just scored. Midweek. He must be buzzing, full of confidence. It's like, yeah, I'm really up for this. Oh, yeah, by the way. You're on the bench. You're on the bench at the weekend. It's like, oh, come on, man. And it is a direct, uh, or it's a direct head-to-head because Gladbach and Leverkusen, they were both, you know, at the end of last season, they were on the last match day. Either one of them could have made the Champions League spot, the final fourth uh, spot. And, you know, Gladbach ended up edging them. And this was basically another direct comparison of where these two teams could be going. And we said it at the, in the European edition a couple of days ago. Gladbach are a team now that, you know, they did well to keep their squad together and the good players they have. And they could really start, you know, establishing themselves at that as that fourth German force. And judging by that performance, they still got a ways to go. Yeah, I think 
it will come with time. Like you can see the foundations there. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Playing your best players helps. <laughs> helps. But I think that's enough of that match. I'm going to move on to Der Klassiker just because our last match is going to perform a perfect segue into this week's edition of, do you know what really grinds my gears? But I think we can safely say that Der Klassiker did not disappoint. I had it. The only thing missing from that was a red card. Yeah, it really definitely, definitely was. It was, it had everything. It had goals on both sides, back and forth. Bayern turn the match, then Dortmund come back to make it interesting, you know, last few minutes. And I'm going to be honest here, Dortmund didn't play badly. Oh, no. It, it was just Bayern that, that much better. It was weird. The first half an hour, I think Gio Reyna had so much room. Yeah, and it was scary. You, you think a player, I know he's young, but the form he's been in and the quality he's got a little bit disappointed not to see him do something more might just be the pressure of you know the match and and what's at stake because it was a direct uh because both teams were level on points and Bayern only had goal difference putting them at first and it was direct uh comparison between the two teams i think there was a definite amount of not just bragging rights but also you know league position and on on the line and it and this match ultimately could be very telling of where the league is going to go in terms of where the teams are going to place yeah i think the biggest thing probably obviously you can't stop the buy-in machine at the moment but probably the experience in that side yeah especially winning the treble um last season gives players who are even as young as Coleman, you know, tons of experience. And, you know, Leroy Sané has the experience from the Premier League and you've got just all these players, even though they're in their prime years, they already have experience that some players may not even get in their whole career uh, or may, and, you know, or some, or that least until they're, you know, 30, 31, 32. And, you know, you've got a Joshua Kimmich who, has now the qualities I think definitely to become a captain in the future and also just you know in general is probably one of the best midfielders on this planet funny you mentioned Joshua Kimmich because we disagreed with with his tackle on Holland I know you said it's supposed to be a red card I'm thinking that's still too harsh because he definitely doesn't go studs up you know, no, he I, not, I, like the had reason... he caught him. Sorry, I'll let you finish. No, no, you had a point there. Go ahead. Well, he didn't catch him. Harlan managed to jockey it, but had he caught him, it would have been quite near his knee, and I could quite comfortably see that being a red card. Obviously, I don't wish the injury on him. That's an unfortunate complication. <laughs> yeah, and you know, bye bye rest of this season. Finally, you mentioned the injury. One thing I'm going to say to that is that Haaland is so rock solid that he didn't go down in that, in that situation. I mean, wow. The reason 
Kimmich got injured is because Haaland proved to be that rock solid. If Haaland had gone down, I highly doubt that Kimmich would have uh, would have overstretched his knee and then done done his meniscus. So it's, uh, I think it's, it also speaks to you know the quality of Haaland to not go down in that situation and to be that solid. But the reason I'm also saying it was definitely it was only a yellow card is because it was a clear tactical foul. Because in that situation, if Kimmich doesn't at least you know, if Kimmich doesn't use, do the, or make that foul, then Haaland keeps on sprinting through and Boateng is not going to make it back. But because he has that, that just that really that millisecond of, um, of time where he, where he takes ha- or where he gives Haaland um, like a stutter in his step, it allows Boateng to track back and ultimately thwart the, thwart the attack. Um, also, side note, Kimmich will not be done for the whole season because he thankfully did not tear any ligaments in his knee. It was only a tear to the outer meniscus in his knee. So he'll, um, and he already underwent surgery uh, on tonight, which is Sunday. And he will most likely be out till at least January 2021. Oh, uh, that's not as bad as I first read that it was then. Definitely not. But I think we need to talk about how much Bayern are going to miss him. Well, there's a there's a simple there's a simple fix for that. It's not going to be ideal, but you play David Alaba at holding midfield, move Lucas Hernandez back to centre back, and oh no, Alfonso Davies injured. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Okay. That's more difficult. Javi Martinez. Yeah, but here's he the thing. Still, technically, classes as a footballer. <laughs> yeah, but you know we. The reason we brought on Javi Martinez in that match is because we wanted to shore up defense. And he definitely proved to – he did his job. He did exactly what he was put on the pitch for. Stop any through balls, put in the tackles, and basically hold the ball. Because we, we all know that Martinez going forward is not all that. Could you not play Mark Rocker? He might actually have to you know step up to the plate here because Tolisso – Definitely good, but he is too inconsistent to play or to take over for Kimmich. He has that great game against Atletico with that screamer, and then the next match he's, you know, donkey. It's going to be... This is probably the hardest thing Hansi Flick has had to deal with. Which, I I mean, it's not bad having to deal with someone after nearly a year in charge. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask you before we move on. Favorite goal from that game? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Lewandowski because it was such an artist. The way he contorts his body to get to that ball is unbelievable. I mean, you he did it against uh, he did it against Salzburg as well for that for I think of the five two where he he gets up in the air and he kind of and he just angles his body where no normal human being is gonna say that yeah I'm gonna make I'm gonna angle my body that way so I can at least get to the ball like no one even no one can even think that. And he just does it without thinking. And I think that was probably the best goal. Funnily enough, the free kick that they were talking about, them, you know, using the using that, you know, special free kick option definitely ended up confusing the Dortmund defense so that they, you know, had no chance of blocking it. So it was a pretty cool goal. And Leroy Sanders was great as well. Like to get that through before a kanji comes in. 
I, it just speaks to his class. You know, it's the third game he's been subbed on and then scores. So, I mean, this is him not fully at 100% yet because, he, because of the injury he had at the, at the beginning. Imagine what he can do when he's at 100%. Just adds another gear to that. It really does. And if you can find a way to not necessarily replace Kimmich, but plug the gap in the meantime, you might not really miss it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's also his mentality. So that you know, when when all the t- all the players like a Lewandowski, a Sane, a Gnabry, a Coman, they're not scoring. You know, then he steps up and scores. He's just that mentality player, also that you know, when things aren't going well, he'll step up. And which is why I'm also saying he's definitely going to be a future captain. But you know, it is what it is, and it's definitely going to hit them hard. But you know, I think we still have the squad depth to shore up and plug that gap. And I mean, that's apparent by saying, but when when you have to say that Flick has the luxury of choosing between Leroy Sane and Kingsley Coman just on the right wing. It's an absolute bounty of riches in that side. It really is. I think the best, the best, uh, I think their theme song should right now just be All I Do Is Win by DJ Khaled. Because I mean, it's just so fitting. I can't wait for you to lose a game. Just because you just want to hear me lament about how crap we played just once on this episode, on an episode. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't, I don't want to honestly. do a whole season unbeaten. Cause I'm just, oh, can you imagine how insufferable I'd be? I'm just an <laughs> arsehole. And I, don't want, I don't wish that on anyone. <laughs> but moving from the duel between the top two teams straight down to the bottom two teams... Both teams, Mainz and Schalke, were in dire need of three points, and neither of them got it. Neither of they they had to they have to give themselves a two points a piece, uh, one point apiece. Sorry, with a two-two draw. You know we can talk about the fact that you know the the ray of sunshine for Schalke is that they came back two times from being uh from you know being a goal down. And, you know, managed to show the mentality to do that. But I think this whole game was just overshadowed. And we're just going to knock right into our this week's edition of Do You Know What Really Grinds My Gears? Because VAR had its fingerprints all over that match and not in a good way. It wasn't an advert for it, was it? Especially because in Germany, VAR up to this point has, you know, worked better than, definitely better than it has in the Premier League. I mean, you don't have a weekly uh, controversy, but, you know, this week, I mean, both teams, Schalke definitely got the short end of the stick because, you know, one, how is that foul on Patsensia in the 80th minute, not a penalty? I mean, he just has a handful of his shirt. So I've watched that twice now and I still can't understand how it wasn't given but especially especially when you look at the penalty that was given four minds at the other end oh that's what I mean, I mean it's like how on earth have you given one and not the other it's so the first penalty, yeah the first penalty mines got give, I'll give them that 100% that was a penalty because he does step on his Achilles but the second one is just a shoulder to shoulder challenge and Mateta goes down screaming and VAR manages to give that a penalty. That is just so unbelievable. 
I don't get it. I really don't. We have to give all credit to Mark Uto for that free kick. That was great. I, there's a little bit of quality that Schalke need. That was a little glimpse of it, but at the same time, this was also kind of a, okay, this is why you're bottom of the league, or this is why you're two bottom teams in the league. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, Lothar Matthäus went on Sky Sports afterwards and said, there is there are a lot of Schalke players that are not fit to play in the Bundesliga, playing in the starting eleven. And he said he wouldn't name names, but a good amount of them aren't fit enough to, or aren't fit for the Bundesliga. And that's a very, very harsh call to make. It's but harsh, the the day, but it's necessary. Like the back, the back, the back. Seeing as we're not. Okay. Yeah. Probably just about. Mm. So Kabak, Sane and Mati Anastasic. They, they definitely can be. I'm not sure about Kabak. Maybe. Maybe he's, he's still one of the quite ones. young, isn't he, Ozan Kabak? Yeah, true. But I mean, Nastasic and Sane have proven to be effective in Bundesliga seasons before. I don't know. Something isn't right with that team. And I, I still maintain maybe getting relegated might do them some good. You never know. I mean, we said the same about Hamburg, and Hamburg has now been in the third league for, I mean, the second Bundesliga for three years. That's very true. But do you want to talk VAR in the Classica? Because I was streaming it and I was like a couple minutes behind. <laughs> so when Lewandowski scores the f- scores his goal that was given offside, the first, first one. The first one. I was sat there. I was like, okay, yeah, that's probably offside. And then I got a text. No way. That's not offside. Unbelievable. <laughs> okay, here's the th- here's the thing. I remember a few episodes back, you know, when we were talking about some VAR controversy in the Premier League where you were also fuming and we said it's all good if it's like a foot, like a full the f- player's full foot is offside. But if he's putting a toe offside, and I think it was the Liverpool Everton thing where Mane's goal got disallowed. And if he's a toe, if he has his big toe offside, they should give the attacker the benefit of the doubt. And this thing with Lewandowski is the same exact thing. His kneecap, not even his full knee, was offside. To any normal person who doesn't see a calibrated line being drawn, he'll say he was onside. And at the end of the day, I, I can't fault it because judging by the rule book, if there's a play, a piece of a player that can score a goal offside, then it is offside. It just like, I get that, but it just annoys me is, you know, the fact that his kneecap is offside. He's more or less on the same height. Well, funny. You should mention that rule that any part of a player that you can score with that is offside, then it's offside. Patrick Bamford scored a perfectly good goal against Crystal Palace and he was given offside because he was pointing to where he wanted the ball to be played. So his arm was offside. That is unfreaking believable. Yeah. And there's another one that happened in the Aston Villa Arsenal game. Today. Oh, that 
a minute in. Oh my god! Right, a minute in, and when they finished, it was like six and a half minutes in. It does not take five minutes. Okay, offside. It's not offside. Offside or not, player in front of him or not, there's no way Leno was getting that ball. That's what I mean. That was a ro- shot that was. Ro- I mean, it was such a rocket. Badlino didn't even see the ball. He just heard it. He heard it fly past him. He wasn't even, he, there was no way he was saving that. And they still give it onside. And plus, I'm sorry, the player, is he in his field of vision? No, he really isn't. Like, right, come Ross, on, Watkins. Ross Barkley stood to his side. Like, Bern Leno's got a clear view of where that ball's coming from. And he, he, he no one's stopping that. Oh, it just makes no freaking sense. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. It's and, so cool. and I put on Twitter, I know you disagree with me about this, but I put on Twitter, like, you know, the state of VAR and the current level of officiating in the Premier League, of course, that handball on Joe Gomez was given as a penalty. Of course, why wouldn't it? Of course it was. Yeah. And it's just not a penalty. And instant karma, because a shocking penalty from Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> Yeah, but here's the thing. I'm going to still stick to that. That in my eyes still is a penalty because you can't you can't claim that it was too close. I know you're going to say that you know with him jumping up in front and then turning away, that is going to be you know how the arms you know kind of move how how a body moves when you go up. But he is so far away. He's far enough away from the guy crossing, and it does clearly hit his hand that I'm still going to go uh, go ahead and say that was a penalty. And I'm, a com- I'm completely neutral on this because I don't care if City or Liverpool win. It's difficult for me to agree because you see them given, and it happened against United with Victor Lindelof, and it's a similar thing. You can't jump and not have your arms out. Yeah, but I'd say... In this situation, it's clearer than when, when Lindelof went. Gonna I, be honest. I don't think it was a penalty. But what I do think was a penalty was Jordan Pickford kicking Harry Maguire in the stomach as well as Michael Keane kicking him in the knee. I mean, we said it, didn't we? The fact that Jordan Pickford didn't get a, a ban in hindsight for the challenge on Virgil van Dijk in the Merseyside Derby is just going to lead to other keepers thinking they can do the same thing again. And in this case, it wasn't other keepers. It was leading to Jordan Pickford doing the exact same thing again. He hasn't been banned, so he's not been taught. You can't jump into a player like that. And then he almost goes and does it again. Well, he, he drops the ball. So he, he mishandles the ball, which I'm not surprised at Jordan Pickford dropping the ball. And then he goes to clear it, but compl- Maguire's already hit it away. And he just kicks him in the midriff. And it's like, how many more times? Like, is Jordan Pickford above the like, How many more times does he have to do it? And this being the same week that Gareth Southgate came out, and I know you, this really rubbed you the wrong way. Oh, it really did. Gareth Southgate came out and was like, oh, well, I don't think Jordan Pickford's got to worry. There's none, none of the England keepers out there pushing him. I was like, I'm terribly sorry, what? Have a day off, Gareth. You need it. He was Jesus. dropped by Everton for their game against Newcastle. I mean, Robin Olsen's nothing special either. Yeah, but I'm sorry. 
Alex McCarthy is better than him at this point. That's a really good shout. That I was trying to think Let of alone. the goalkeeper I'd take, and Alex McCarthy is an absolute mad shout. I mean, definitely Nick Pope is better than both of them. Nick Pope, uh, we, we did agree on it. Dean Henderson needs a bit more game time to really yeah. be considered an England goalkeeper. Exactly, exactly. But Nick Pope, Alex McCarthy's in the form of his life. Yeah, and Nick Pope as well. I mean, he, there's a reason he got the goalkeeper of the season last year. I think it's difficult to replace your goalkeeper uh, with a national side because you don't get a lot of games. But, no, we've, but got, we've got three England games coming up, right? Two of which are in the Nations League, and one of one of them is a friendly against the Republic of Ireland. Republic of Ireland game, it's a friendly. It doesn't doesn't count. Play Dean Henderson. I, I'm going to argue play Nick Pope rather than Dean Henderson. But well, I was going to say in one yeah. of the Nations League games, play Nick Pope, and in the ah, other okay. Nations League game, play. You've got three keepers. Yeah. Give each keeper a game. I'm sorry, but take Jordan Pickford all together and put Alex McCarthy in there because Jesus. Yeah, I know, but you got to think it's difficult to go. Okay, we've got a major tournament coming up, so I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to completely. I mean, if this carries on, I it's going to get a little bit indefensible of, of him to keep picking Jordan Pickford and to keep defending Jordan Pickford. I mean, the comments under that were unbelievable. Every, I did not see a single comment defending Jordan Pickford. Every single comment was trashing Southgate for being, you know, high. I think when it's a case of statement. being diplomatic more than anything because you can't come out and go... Because people know Jordan Pickford is England's number one at the moment. But yeah. football's so fluid. Like, Joe Hart came and went. <laughs> Didn't take long, did it? And it's like, okay, a couple more major mistakes. He hasn't majorly screwed up for England yet. Yeah. But a major, major mistake for England. Say we play Belgium in the Nations League. It's nil-nil, 93rd minute. He goes to catch a cross, completely misses it, and Lukaku scores. Then it can be okay. Imagine he does a Rob Green. Oh, don't. I'm still not over that. I can. I know exactly. I remember exactly where I was at that moment as well. Trauma, trauma. Well, it's like Same a norm flashback. Yeah, <laughs> that was career-ending for him as well. Yes, but England haven't had great goalkeepers since the icons. But Peter Shilton, exactly. The big man, David Seaman. Oh. David Seaman with that with that mustache. It's like a goalkeeper's loving because I sent you that video of Van der Sar meeting Peter, Peter uh, meeting Peter Schmeichel in a in Mittisland. It's like Jesus Christ, you're tall. <laughs> like me when I see you. Oh, uh, I I know I know you want to write an ode to me, Bill, but you know, we'll calm it down until until we're halfway through the season at least. Well, on that note. That's all we've got time for this week. As always, please subscribe, follow, like all our th- all our social media channels. We are definitely posting on the weekly and you know, if you good people want on the daily, just little tidbits and whatnot, as well as follow our RSS feed and Spotify. But that's all for this week, guys. We will be now on a two-week break. 
because of the Nations League. But the next time there is another round of Premier League, Bundesliga and Champions League, we will, of course, be back with the 50 Plus 1 Football Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. Keep calm. Love the beautiful game.